0: From AMF Podcast Studios, you're listening to Health and Safety Law Report. I'm Doug Jenks.
1: And I'm Abby White.
0: So uh, everybody, you are if you're tuning into the news, you probably are aware that there has been some big developments lately with uh, health and safety law here in the United States, most specifically with regard to OSHA and uh, the new COVID-19 emergency temporary standard. We want to talk with you all today about what has just happened and uh, what this new emergency temporary standard states and then speak briefly about the challenges to the standard so that we all can understand what the status of this new emergency temporary standard is. So Abby, why don't we start with um, just tell everybody if you would or tell us uh, about what has uh, most recently happened and where we are right now.
1: Sure. So as you mentioned, this is all still very much in flux. But on uh, November 5th, OSHA published uh, the Emergency Temporary Standard in the Federal Register. It is 1910-501. And uh, it applies to private employers with more than 100 employees and just very generally requires employers to mandate either um, vaccination or weekly testing. In terms of compliance deadlines, OSHA has given employers until uh, December 6th. Actually, it's technically December 5th, but that falls on a Sunday. So until December 6th to meet all of the requirements in the standard, except for the weekly testing, uh, which will go into effect on January 4th.
0: Well, let's do this. Let's take a step back and just explain quickly what an emergency temporary standard is and what the legal standard is for an emergency temporary standard. And then let's sort of list sort of the bare bones of what the requirements are. So, an emergency temporary standard is a rare beast for the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Um, Under the United States Code, OSHA can issue an emergency temporary standard when it is necessary to address some grave danger that is facing employees, An emergency temporary standard can only be in effect for six months, after which time it either needs to be adopted as a regular standard or it sunsets after six months. And what is so unusual about this is that a normal standard takes, it could take up to 10 years to implement, uh, but an emergency temporary standard can be created, published, and implemented in a matter of months and that's what we're seeing right now. So the the important thing for today and I think for the challenges that we'll discuss in a few minutes is that there must be a grave danger facing employees at work and the uh, emergency temporary standard must be necessary to uh, to address that grave danger. So the Biden administration is under the opinion that there that COVID has posed a grave danger. They cite the 750,000 deaths in the United States and the millions of positive cases of COVID-19 as their evidence for this, this grave danger. But uh, it remains to be seen whether the courts are going to agree with that. So... That is, in a nutshell, what an emergency temporary standard is. So let's go ahead and and then uh, just talk about what are the bare bones of what is in this emergency temporary standard that was just published last week.
1: Yeah. Was well, it a threshold issue? You'll have to decide whether your business is even covered, right? So this applies to businesses with more, 100 or more employees, and that is considering all of the businesses' locations across the United States. So they're not looking at this on an establishment level, they're looking at this on a company-wide level.
0: So if I've uh, got two branches, each has 60 employees under one company, then that, that, then, then my, my company uh, falls under this, correct? Yes, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, it does, by the way, include seasonal employees, Assuming that your seasonal employees are employed while the emergency temporary standard is in effect. So, if you do, for example, um, a lot of hiring during the holidays to have extra staff on hand, um, and that brings you up over 100, um, then you are covered by this, even if after the holidays are over, you then terminate all those employees and you have fewer than 100 employees. It continues to remain in effect.
0: But if I have a lawn service and most of my employees, are in the summer and I have over a hundred at that time. And let's say I just did, but right. I'm, I'm now I've, I've let them all go. Then that doesn't count. Right. Or then I would not fall under that.
1: Probably not. I mean, it depends on what time you hire them back. Right. I think you just, so this is going to be in effect for six months. So six months from November 5th puts us at, I believe May 5th okay. or thereabouts. So um, you know, if you reach a hundred employees before this expires, then it applies to you. If you don't, then it doesn't.
0: And that's even uh, for one day. Yes. Right.
1: Yeah. Although at that point, I think I'd be doing a, a cost benefit analysis and thinking, do I really need to hire these employees or can I wait one day before right. they start working? So,
0: right. Okay. Got it. Um, okay.
1: In any event, it does include seasonal employees. It does include minors under age 18, which I was surprised to see because they do require obviously parental consent to be vaccinated. Um, but nonetheless, they are covered. It does not include independent contractors. It does not include employees supplied by a temp agency. So you don't count those in your count, but keep in mind, um, that just because you are covered, just because the business is covered, there may be employees who are not subject to uh, the requirements of this emergency standard. So, for example, you don't have any obligations under this standard with regard to employees uh, who work from home exclusively and never come into the office. You don't have any obligations under the standard with regard to uh, employees who go to a workplace and work by themselves. So for example, Doug, if you worked completely at home and you only came into the office once a week when you knew that no one else was going to be here, it wouldn't cover you as an employee. Um, It also doesn't apply to employees who work exclusively outdoors. uh, And that's a really tight definition. I mean, they don't really define exclusively outdoors, but the explanation they provide is pretty much limits employees or this to employees who are only outdoors um, and spend very little time indoors, just using the restroom, washing their hands, maybe punching a time clock, but the rest of the time they're outdoors. And that, that includes um, construction workers who are maybe working inside like a partially constructed building. They might consider themselves to be outdoors, but OSHA would not for purposes of this standard.
0: And also my understanding is that if they're spending any time in the job trailer, That that would make them indoors.
1: True. Very true. So it has to be uninterrupted work outdoors, basically, except for just very short periods of time.
0: And how about people who are driving? They're outdoors. They're driving their vehicles outdoors, but they're in a vehicle.
1: That's a really good question. I guess it depends on whether they're in a vehicle with other people.
0: And the answer is yes.
1: And no, they're not outdoors. (laughs) That's my thought, too. Um, so those people would be covered by the count. So when you count your employees, you would include them in the 100. But what, it, what I'm saying is that you do not have obligations with respect to those employees. So those people might put you over your threshold of hundred employees, but you don't have to, um, follow any of these requirements with respect to those employees. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. That's a great distinction to make. Okay. Okay, so if we fall under the emergency temporary standard by virtue of the number of employees we have, even if we don't have to vaccinate all of them because some might be exclusively outdoor cats, then um, then what does the emergency temporary standard say we have to do?
1: Okay, I'm still stuck on outdoor cats. Yeah. Um Okay, so first of all, you've got to adopt a policy. So you've got to decide whether you are going to require mandatory vaccinations for all employees or whether you're going to give employees a choice between getting vaccinated and doing weekly testing. Um, So you have to decide on which strategy you're going to use to comply and then adopt. It has to be a written policy. You have to adopt a policy to implement that um, vaccine slash testing program that you're going to use. You also have to determine whether employees have been vaccinated, right? Because you need to decide who still needs to be vaccinated in order for you to be in compliance. So you have to determine uh, employees' vaccination status and then keep records um, about that. And you do have to treat those as, as confidential medical records. You also have to uh, pay employees for up to four hours uh, to go get vaccinated if they have not yet been vaccinated. And then you also have to provide each employee with reasonable uh, sick leave to recover from the side effects of the vaccine. Up to two days, right? Up to two days, yeah. That's not actually in the standard, but in the, you know, 100 plus pages of interpretation preceding it, (laughs) they said up to two days. Um, and again, that's, that's paid up to two days of paid leave. Now, all of this, bear in mind, our employment attorneys here would want us to remind you that all of this is subject to other federal regulations, right? So the ADA, FML, um, FLSA, all of these other, uh, laws are still in effect. So you still have to comply with those too. This is just what OSHA is requiring.
0: If an employee... Or if an employer decides that they're going to implement a policy where the employees will have to either be vaccinated or be tested weekly, the employee has to pay for the test correctly. Or, or, or no, the employer does not have to pay for the test. Isn't that correct?
1: True. I, well, OSHA does not require the employer to pay for the test. They may, but OSHA says they don't have to. But then there's a question of whether under the FLSA, the employer would have to pay the employee um, for their time taking the test as well as pay for the test itself.
0: The Fair Labor Standards Act?
1: Yes, that's a question that we just don't have an answer to yet. Um, And I I think we're expecting some guidance from the DOL in the next couple of weeks on that, but that's a question that we still don't know.
0: And in terms of doing the um, home tests, my understanding is that they can the employees if they opt to just go to the pharmacy and buy a home test. They can do the, that home test, but they can't do it at home. It has to be witnessed by either a healthcare professional or the employer for that to uh, for that to count.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's right.
0: What else? What are What are else some of the bare bones requirements here?
1: So obviously, and you've hit on this, uh, you have to require any unvaccinated employees to be tested for COVID-19 at least once every seven days. Um, you also have to be prepared to remove non-compliant employees. And I- I'm not saying terminate because the standard doesn't say terminate, but it's remove from your workplace any unvaccinated employees who fail to submit uh, COVID 19 proof of a COVID 19 test every seven days. Obviously, if they supply proof of a positive test, then they have to be, um, you know, excluded from the workforce under CDC guidelines and, you know, go through that process. But in terms of employees who are unvaccinated and they just fail to submit um, negative test results in a timely manner, you're required to exclude them from the workplace until they provide a negative test that's within the past seven days. You are also required to uh, be the mask police or face covering police. You have to uh, make sure unvaccinated employees are wearing masks and that they are wearing them correctly uh, over their nose and mouth. And uh, they even go so far as to suggest that if the mask is looking wet or soiled or tattered or ineffective, basically, um, that you should require the employee to replace their face covering. I think that's asking a lot personally, but nonetheless, that's a requirement. Um, And then for if you are a workplace that has employees who are going to be tested weekly instead of getting vaccinated, you have to keep records of all of their tests to make sure that everyone is um, meeting their obligation to submit results every seven days. That's the meat of it. I would say that with regard to, we've always since the beginning of the pandemic, OSHA has always said um, you have to record work-related cases of um, COVID-19 on your log.
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk about that re- recording and reporting requirements. Go ahead. Yeah,
1: okay. So, um, and that continues to be the case, but what's interesting with this standard is the reporting aspect, not recording, but reporting Um with every other type of work related injury and illness if it results in a hospitalization you only have to report the hospitalization if it occurs within 24 hours of the work related exposure and with regard to fatalities you only have to report the fatality if it occurs if it occurs within 30 days of the work related exposure and for purposes of COVID-19, OSHA is suspending both of those um, time limits. And what they're saying is, if you have a work-related case of COVID-19, the results in either a hospitalization or a fatality, you've got to report it no matter when it occurs. Even if it's three months after the fact, you've got to report it if it's from a work-related um, exposure.
0: And uh, the inpatient hospitalization has to be reported within... 24 hours of learning about it and the death has to be reported within, is it eight hours of when you learn about that? True. Correct. Without regard to, as you just said, without regard to the time between the initial exposure, which is very difficult to determine and the hospitalization or the death. Right.
1: Right.
0: Okay. So I, I guess we should also mention that if an employee is positive for covid then the employer has a requirement to determine whether or not it was contracted at work and right. they're going to have to talk to the employee and make that reasonable good faith determination as to whether it did in fact occur at work and they would and then if they do they're going to have to do contact contact tracing I guess, as part of that investigation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And I would think that employers would want to be very careful um, about which cases they record. They decide to record um, because recording it means that you have determined that it's work related, right? So then if that person is later hospitalized or has died, you have basically committed yourself to reporting that uh, later on with your initial determination that it's work related.
0: Yeah. So just record only the cases that have been determined to have been contracted at work right? or work related. Yeah. Good point. All right. So those are, would we agree? Those are just the bare bones requirements of, of what this new emergency temporary standard says, right? Yes. Right. I think what we'll do is on a future episode, speak more fully about what is actually in the emergency temporary standard, because as we sit here today, it's Monday, November 8th, there is a good question as to whether or not this will actually ever come to fruition. And there are lots of challenges around the country to this emergency temporary standard. And let me just begin this discussion by pointing out that these emergency temporary standards are, are rare and they are frequently challenged. And when they are challenged, they are usually struck down. So, in the total history of OSHA, I believe there have only been 10 emergency temporary standards. And that includes the recent one from June, which was the emergency temporary standard for COVID. Uh, which applied just to healthcare employers. Of those 10, six of them have been or were challenged, and five of those six were struck down by the courts. And there are a lot of watchers, commentators, and observers who are predicting that this emergency temporary standard could be struck down as well. Currently, right now, it is being challenged in the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And what were the other ones, Abby?
1: Sixth, eighth, and 11th.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. So the fifth, sixth, eighth, and 11th. And if I'm not mistaken, those are all Republican dominated circuit courts of appeals, which may or may not bode uh, well for the for the challenges.
1: Sure.
0: So at this point, we are just beginning what is likely to be a a very aggressive um, challenge, multiple challenges in multiple circuit courts of appeals across the country. And ultimately, this will most likely have to be decided by the United States Supreme Court. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I do agree.
0: And it's hard to tell when this would be fully litigated, but for right now, all we know for sure is that it this is being this is being challenged. And one other thing I, I wanted to point out, I meant to mention this earlier, Abby, and that is that you might be in a state that operates uh, its own state OSHA plan. Uh, there are 22 states, including Puerto Rico that have their own state OSHA. And so they don't have federal OSHA in their state, but a state can have its own OSHA program provided that the standards are at least as strict as the federal standards. So if you happen to be in a state OSHA state, like let's say um, Indiana uh, or, or California, you are going to see this same emergency temporary standard In your state as well and it it will probably be similar or may be similar to the federal emergency temporary standard or it could even be more strict than the federal emergency temporary standard so for example if the threshold for covered employers under the federal emergency temporary standard is 100 employees it's possible that if you're in a state osha state that that state OSHA might have an emergency temporary standard that applies to employers with 50 employees or or even fewer. So if you are in a a state uh, that has its own OSHA program, you're going to have to watch carefully to see what their emergency temporary standard is, because it might actually it's going to it has to be at least as strict as the uh, as the federal standard and could even be um, more strict.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point.
0: So, but at this point, it's kind of too early to, to know what's going to happen. You agree?
1: It is. Yep.
0: Okay. All right. So is there anything else that uh, we should alert the masses about? Not with right regard to this?
1: I'm Sure. I'm sure there will be more uh, down the road, but I think we've covered what we can for right now.
0: Okay. Yeah. So the point here is just to get out a quick message to everybody. Let you all know the status of this emergency temporary standard. This has been the big news and the big story that we have been waiting for since September 9th, when President Biden issued his order to OSHA uh, to implement or to draft the emergency temporary standard. So um, this was the big news, but this story is is really just beginning. Um, So we'll ask everybody to stay tuned and we will endeavor to get back to you once we know more about what exactly uh, is happening. Sound like a plan? Sounds great. Now on a very sad note and uh, an unexpected and sad note, we wanted to let everybody know that our guest on our last two podcast episodes, Nafis Mitchell Reyes, Suddenly and very unexpectedly, just passed away. We just found out about this a couple weeks ago. Um, it was terrible news, of course, for his family and his uh, colleagues at Empire Roofing, as well as his colleagues at the um, trade associations where he where he worked.
1: And shocking. I mean, he's if you listen to the episode, you can tell how uh, full of energy he is, and so it's was. It's kind of hard to accept that that happened so suddenly.
0: But I'll say that I'm really happy to have had the opportunity to have him on the show and to record his perspective on job place or workplace safety and then to have it memorialized or at least recorded um, on the podcast. Um, Yeah. Really, really appreciated his perspective. He has been very successful as a as a safety director in the construction industry, and I'm very grateful to have had the opportunity to hear from him how he goes about doing that. Yeah. So we would like to express our uh, sincere condolences to um, Nafis's family mm-hmm. and uh, his colleagues, and to all the people who knew knew him. Um, and we will we will miss him. Indeed. Okay, so thanks, everybody, for listening. As I said, we will get back with you all regarding new information on the emergency temporary standard. So for now, I remind you that we are attorneys.
1: But we're not your attorneys, at least not while we're on this podcast.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back in touch soon.